All right, here we go, here we go. Fold your hands, close your eyes, let's pray. Here we go, here we go, here we go. Just for a moment. Christ is our glory and our shield. Let us give thanks and praise, glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Hey, great to see all of you. Thanks for coming. Um, I'm sorry about our text. Should have said the doors will be open at 8 and breakfast will be here at 8.30. Now, if I tell you I'm not going to talk till 9, you'll come at 9, but it's more important that you talk to each other than you just talk to me, because there's all sorts of new people here who need to be welcomed and kind of figure it out. And I've learned over the years that um, so often churches, this is about a data dump, but what's really most important are the relationships that you build with Christ, of course, but then also with each other. And the trick here is to make a big church feel like a small church. And one of the ways to do that is if you can come and bring your kids and let them play together and you get comfortable and you talk to each other and everything sort of works out. So um, next week, you know, feel free to come. Food will be out. Or, I mean, Mary's very good. Food will be out at 8.15 or so. But, you know, come 8.15, 8.30, spend some time talking to each other. Yeah, if you can't get here till 9, that's completely fine. But do come and at least spend some time with us, too. I know Pastor Nelson is here and Holly. That's very nice. Kirby's here. And next week, uh, Alvaro and Malena will be here. They're at a wedding this weekend. But, um, you know, they'll, you'll get to spend a little time with your pastors, too, if you, if, if you want that. So that's kind of nice. So welcome especially to people who are new and then also um, even to people who have been in the Missouri Senate a long time. One of the interesting things is in you, I don't know what I'm getting. You come from diverse backgrounds. Um, some of you haven't been in church for a while. Some of you have been in church you know, every Sunday for the last 40 years. But I nevertheless don't know what I'm getting in you as a person, as a parishioner. And you also don't know what you're getting in me uh, as a pastor or a Pastor Nelson or a Pastor Witt. And so um, for you all, you know, if you show up on a Saturday morning and have a sprinkle donut, I'm not worried about your salvation, right? I'm just all, you know, that's, that's not the deal. But there is this idea from Jesus himself that you should follow along and be his disciple. And that's what we're interested in. And so you remember, we'll do this text next week, probably not this week, but in your going, make disciples, right? That's the single task uh, to, to, to the apostles as they go out. And, you know, Christians come in all shapes and sizes and denominations and, you know, much thought and blood has been spilt on that through the years. My concern, especially is my two square blocks, and my concern is you. And what I'm most interested in is that you come uh, to follow Jesus with all that that means. And of course, there's disagreements about that across denominations and all, but if you can let that recede for a moment and just try to listen to Jesus uh, and see what he has to say, and then kind of feel the room and see if this is the place for you to be. You won't hear us say um, bad things about other denominations or other Christians, um, not even about the world. Uh, Jesus doesn't have any enemies, so we don't have any enemies. As hard as that is to say, given um, the circumstances of the last week and the last month and the last year, right? 
But Jesus has no enemies, so I have no enemies. Uh, and to draw you into that kind of life as well. In some ways, this, these Saturday mornings work together as kind of a sieve. There are normal breakpoints in this class. Um, when Pastor Nelson will stand up tomorrow at 8.30 and say, I forgive you all your sins. Sometimes that's very difficult for people to tolerate. Or to say, um, this is the same body and blood that was on the cross. And when we ring the bell and swing the incense and kneel down before it, that is either the greatest heresy, bread worshipers, or the truest thing that ever happened. And you're on one side or another of that. And so everything is on the table here. There's some cards in front of you. One says, you know, you can ask anything. One says about baptism because the first couple of weeks are about baptism. But uh, kind of anything can be on the table. But in the direction of how does this bring me into the rhythm of the Christian life? How does this make me a disciple? Uh, how does this make me more loving? How does this improve my prayers? How does this make me more generous? Right? How does this build a particular kind of community? You know, St. John has a feel, and um, it can always get better and more loving and more generous, and we want you to be part of that, but we really want you to want to be part of that, right? There's so, no sort of force involved, nothing in the world. No, no good, capital G, happens by force. Nothing good in the whole world happens by force. Uh, so how can we, you know, do what Jesus asks and live together as Christians? That's the whole point, kind of start to finish. Make sense? Everybody still okay? So this is a long process of getting to know each other. Now, I've done this a whole bunch of different ways. I'm going to even try a different way this year, which is to give you... Uh, a Saturday off a month, because sometimes people find the drill, especially if you have kids in soccer, or you work on Saturdays, or you travel for business, or you just like to sleep on a rainy day. This can be a little hard. So we'll go this week and next week, and then we'll take the last week of October off, and then we'll go three weeks in November, three Saturdays in November, we'll take Thanksgiving weekend off. We'll go two Saturdays in December. Now, usually, by then, people are happy enough, they want to go three, but as Jesus, or as St. Paul said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The 16th of December will be too close to Christmas. You'll say to me, lo, you will say to me, we haven't sat on Santa Claus's lap yet. And then you'll go do something else on that Saturday. So come back next week, and then you can have a week off extra credit, okay? Uh, let's see. Questions about any of that stuff? Then, of course, the question is where to begin. Um, is there a particular thing you're interested in or you want to you ask about? Here's the thing about pastors. I'll just keep going. If you don't talk, I would just keep going. You go to school for four years to learn to do this. Never silence. Ready? All right, then I'm going to go. Uh, here, open up your scriptures. Now, there should be a Bible in front of you. You can bring your own if you want. Um, see if you can find Ephesians 5. So Ephesians is going to be... You know, an inch and three-eighths from the back cover in a normal Bible. And while you do that, Jody will pass out. No, you're, t you're t not until you're, we can't take the liability there. Jody will, <laughs> Jody will, uh, this is like one false move and we're done for. Jody will pass out your self-portrait, okay? You got it? Help your next door neighbor. Anybody got it in the Bibles that are on your 
And what's, it, what's the number? Anybody got it? Nine, seven, seven, seven. Nine, seven, seven? Nice, nine, seven, seven. You'll find, I hope, that this will be simple. Uh, this, the passages, at least. So let's see, nine, seven, seven. You got it? Ephesians 2, verse 1. That's as far as we're going to go. Uh, that's as far as we'll go right there. You got it? Here we go. Jody will bring your things. You don't have to look at him quite yet. Just one verse, right? And you, so that would be the Lord, or your Heavenly Father, or Jesus, the Holy Spirit, God. And you, Jesus, made alive when you were dead through your trespasses and sins. Now, if I could convince you of that, everything else would be fabulous. Do you see this right here? This is the translation of the Greek word dead. Right? This is it. And this, if you can hold this tight, so many things will become clear. You know the Greek word. Um, it's nekros, which we know like uh, necrophobia. This is the word for death in Greek. That's the word that's used here. Don't you know you were nekros? Now, the thing is, this is a technical term in the Greek. This is the term for when you're dead and rigor mortis is already set in. The flesh is beginning to rot off the bones. And this is already eliminated, um, the idea that you could decide for Christ or that you could be a synergist, you could help yourself. If you really, really believe the text, all I'm asking you to do is believe the text, that you're dead in your trespasses and sins, that's the end of you, that you're necros, that this is your, should be your Christmas card for next year. Get well soon. If you could get well soon, you would get well soon, right? This is why when you visit your friends in the, in the hospital and you say, if you were just a better boy, this wouldn't have happened to you, or um, you know, if you just behave, Jesus could love you more. None of this is true, of course. This is necros. If you could get well soon, you would get well soon. But you need to hold this tight. Uh, and if you do, now you're on to something else, which is there's only one story in the entire scripture. Just one, just one story. From the very first word to the very last word, there's only one story in the entire scripture. And that story is the resurrection of the dead. This is the only story. Every story that's told. Um, Israel out of Egypt. Jonah and the whale. The prodigal son. Remember the father says? My son who was lost is found. My son who was dead is now alive. The very last chapter in the scriptures where Jesus is sorting the sheeps and the goats by the mark that's on their head which is why you make the sign of the cross, because that's how you're going to be sorted at the, in the, on the last day, is a story of death and resurrection. It is the only story. And so I gave you a little quote um, from Marcus Borg, who's a little controversial as a theologian, but I think it's possible to say 
that in spite of all its extraordinary variety, the Bible is held together by having a single plot. It is one that can be simply stated. God creates the world, the world gets lost, God seeks to restore the world to the glory for which God created it. And you can personalize that, you see, to yourself. What God wants is your glory, which is another word, it's a technical word for holiness. Glory is when the holiness of heaven comes to earth. So on Christmas, glory to God in the highest, say the angels, and peace to his people on earth. That means the holiness of God has come to earth in the flesh and blood of Jesus. There's a lot of background there. But what I want to try to convince you is, this is the only story. Everybody starts this way. Your sins aren't good for you. And if you sin, you'll die. And your death will be thorough. You know, if you wanted to keep going in the text, um, you he made alive while you were necros in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, zombies, the walking dead, following the course of this world, which you should say is not the course of Jesus, following the, and now these are demonic references, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now in work in the sons of disobedience. Among these, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh following the desires of body and mind, and now original sin. So we were, by nature, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were necros, dead through our trespasses, God made us alive, there it is, resurrection, with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and made us sit with him in the heavenly places that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us through Jesus Christ. And then the next bit you know quite by heart. So this is the only story and if you can believe this, this would change your life, you'd be a completely different person. If you could believe that all that you have, you have simply because God loves you. It's a remarkable way to live. To live in the image of Jesus, right? How are you doing so far? Are you still okay? So what I want to do so far is to ruin any self-confidence that you have. Uh, in, in terms of... Um, you know, being the person you want to be. I gave you the C.S. Lewis quote there, right? If you're unhappy, right, do you see this? This is the other one. Oh, did I give you? Oh, yeah, I did give it to you, right? When we want to be something other than the thing God wants us to be, we must be wanting what, in fact, will not make us happy. This is just so easy. You know, theology gets easy. It's, it's easy when you're a kid, and then it gets hard, but then it gets easy again. If you're unhappy, you're unhappy because you're chasing, touching, saying, doing things that God doesn't want for you. It's this simple. Your sins aren't good for you. It's simple. As easy as life can get. Your sins aren't good for you. 
and they'll kill you if you let them. Oh. But there's a better way, as Paul likes to say. So just the very first thing, there's one story in Scripture, and it starts like this. You are dead, and there is nothing you can do about it. Absolutely nothing. Now, Jody or Carol, you want to help me again? This is the best fundraiser I ever got, what you're about to see. Meanwhile, while that's coming to you, will you turn to Romans 6? So help your neighbor. Romans 6 is going to be to the left in your Bible, just a little bit, not too far, about a quarter of an inch. Romans 6. Now the question is, I think, how this can happen to you. You're a damn sinner, just like me. But that's not the end of the story. You can't fix yourself, but you can be fixed. Isn't this great? Anybody recognize this? Oh, it says what it is on there, though. But did you recognize it from the first, from the first glimpse? And have you ever seen this? You ever been to this? No? So if you go to Valpo, this is kind of the only thing you can see at the intersection of, you know, 30 and whatever that road is that comes down from Portage, right? But if you just look at this, right, it explains itself. So can you see far down in the bottom? Now this is, imagine, you walk in the front door, and then if you're going to have a baptism, a proper baptism in the chapel, down the stairs you go. I've seen one where um, there was the baby and the pastor clear at the bottom, and then people standing all the way around, who is the most glorious thing, uh, all the way up. So, you know, you can see what's happening there. Have you, can you see any clues there? What do you see that's going on? Anything you recognize or you'd say, oh, that means this or that? What do you see going on there? Anything? Be brave. The water's bubbling. I never noticed that before. Can you see right in the middle? I'd want to check and see if that's true. I didn't remember it being bubbling when I was there. But of course, that means the water's alive. Something's happening. In the Didache, the earliest church manual, about 80 AD, they say, if you can, you should baptize in living water. Living water, bubbling water. A stream is better or a river is better than a, than a pond because it reminds people that the Spirit's alive in the water. Okay, so then, and then it's round. Why is it round? Why is the font round? Do you know? Sign of? Eternity? Eternal yes. Life. Eternal life. Well done. No beginning, no end. And then, you know, they commissioned a sculpture, apparently. What's, what's flying above there? What's going on? Anybody? Doves or birds or it's a mobile. It's, it moves a bit. It's alive. But um, what is it meant to say? Holy Spirit's there, of course. And then... Um, you start at the bottom, but then there's this idea of motion, that you're moved from one place to another. When they're done with you down at the bottom, they'll bring you to the top for the next step. It's genius, whoever did this. Now watch, this is just an explanation of Romans 6. So have you got it? You got Romans 6, verse 1, you there? Verse 1. Hey, are we just going to keep sinning? Verse 1, sin so grace can abound. Verse 2, no. You died to sin when you were baptized, so how can you go on sinning? 
Why do you keep doing your sins? Why do you like your sins? Why do you choose your sins? And then verse 3. Don't you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus. So here, okay, here's a question for teachers. You're included even if you homeschool. Here we go. What kind of verb is that? Active or passive? What do you say? Well done, hecked. One room schoolhouse, four kids, middle of Nebraska, first through eighth grade. Is that, and you know, and you know, your, you know your grammar, you're a beautiful man. A passive verb. A passive verb means somebody does something to you. So it means you're there and then some, you receive the action. You were hit. Don't you know that all of you who were baptized, passive verb, that means somebody did it to you. And of course, in this case, um, if any of you say, you know, who baptized you? If you say Pastor Nelson, it's only partial credit. Is he still here? Good. I've got to watch what I say about him now. Things have changed. So uh, in the old days, I could get away with anything. I've got to be a little more careful. So um, if the proper answer of who baptized you, um, Jesus did. Don't you know that you were, you were baptized, somebody did it to you? Now this eliminates um, you making up your own mind and baptizing yourself, uh, or saying you take credit for it. You were baptized into. If you're going to seminary, this is a preposition of motion. So here, this is really important to know the difference between these two. Even Heck knows this from that Nebraska schoolhouse. Watch this. I'm in. I'm out. I'm in. I'm out. Can I come in? What do you think? No, because in is location. I'm in. Teach your children this. I'm out. I come into. Into is motion. It means you're going from one place to another. Don't you know that all of you who were baptized were picked up from one place by somebody, that is a doornail, and you were moved into what? Text, text, text. Don't you know that all of you who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, there it is. So whatever this is, this is um, Christ Jesus. That now you're going to have to sort out how you can be in Christ Jesus, inside Christ Jesus. Don't you know, all of you who were baptized have been baptized into Christ Jesus. What in the world does that mean? You were baptized into his death, were buried with him by baptism, so that Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. So let's see if I can get all this in. You were baptized into Christ. You were baptized into his death, into his resurrection, into his, I'm sorry, into his burial, into his resurrection, into his glory, and into his new life. Hmm. And in Christ, 
becomes technical language for the baptized or the church. So things like, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, new creation, alive. The old has passed away, the new has come. Or to talk about the church as the body of Christ. How does that happen? Think about when we have a baptism here. When we baptize, you know, we baptize, we lay on hands, we have an exorcism, we anoint, and then the last prayer says, welcome to the church, you're in. So, you were dead, now you were alive. You were lost, now you're found. And this is the only story in scripture, and this is why baptism is so terribly important. Baptism is a place where God's love touches you. So in a word, the gospel is touch. The gospel is when God takes his love and applies it to you, to your troubles, to your misery, to your joy, to your family, to your community, to your sins, to your life. It's all wrapped up here. It's the touch of water. If anybody ever says to you, why are you saved? Your answer is, Jesus baptized me. You know that you're getting close to the truth when you can say things in five words or less in theology. People like big words, sometimes even in German. And uh, of course we know they're not to be trusted then. Checking for the Germans, just check in, check in. We got some love from the English Irish contingent over here, that's good. So, um, you know, what, what you, what you, you, you need to say things in a way that people can understand it. You're dead, now you're alive. You were lost, now you're found. You were a sinner, now you're holy. And then when you're so anxious at night and you go to bed, you should remember that God is very pleased with you. Which seems like a thing that's brave to the point of stupidity to say that God is pleased with you. And yet, that's what God says about you. Loves you so. So, um, just, just kind of keep going here. Verse 5, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, so united, joined to Jesus, right? You and Jesus together. Cemented is how Luther talks about it. We've been cemented to Jesus in a death like his. We will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Verse 8, if we died with Christ, we believe we also live with him. For we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. So Christ won't die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. So death can't control him. This is why you don't need to be scared of the devil. The devil works by fear. We'll talk about this in the future. But he works by fear. And at the end of fear is that he'll kill you. You've already been killed. That's why Luther loved it when people were completely submerged. He said, that, that's the best image of people dying and rising, coming back to life. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. The life he lives, he lives to God. And now this, verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves, here we go, necros to sin. 
So when sin presents itself, you also consider yourself like that raccoon by the side of the road. When sin comes bidding to you, when somebody says to you, wouldn't you love to, right? Or the devil says, this is the easy way, you know, when, G, when, he, tempts, when he tempts Christ. This is the easy way. You should be dead to sin and alive to Christ, I'm sorry, alive to God in Christ Jesus. If I could just convince you of that one thing, um, your life would, you know, change completely. If you could just remember this, if I could remember this, that, you know, I was dead, and then Jesus baptized me, and now I'm alive, and I'm meant to live inside all the good gifts of Jesus. And you know what these things are. This is turning the other cheek. This is tithing and alms. This is being merciful. Uh, this is going to church. This is living in holiness. That's what you're meant for. That's what I'm meant for. That's what this congregation is meant for. And, you know, if you're going to join here, you should embrace this. Because life and church is hard enough when everybody pulls on the same end of the rope. It's impossible when people are scattered. You've all been in churches that didn't work very well. I'm sure you have. Uh, and if you ever get to a church where things work and people live in love, you, you, know, you would crawl over broken glass through fire to stay there. That's, that's what we're aiming at here. So that when you come, you're loved and you're safe and you have direction and you're on the same page with other people and together you're in holiness and together you're in mercy and together you're in generosity and together you're in life because Jesus has put you together in his own church. Pause, how you doing? You still okay? No, no rejection of this at all? You know, we could take next week off too then. Maybe most of December, and you know. If you're willing to sign on the dotted line today, it doesn't take much. It's a new car for Pastor Nelson, and then automatic withdrawal, and then, you know, work in the food kitchen. Are you sure you're in? Because we can, we can blow the rest. Okay, we should keep going. I'm not convinced. That. Um, so, you know, this is where, uh, this is where we uh, hope to go. Really, you've got zero. I don't know what I'm doing yet, Jody. You, prefer, you know, I still think Lisbon is in Iowa. So, it may be in Iowa. <laughs> Seriously, zero? You give me no questions at all? You're just going to roll over like this? Just, you're just going to take it? You shouldn't do that. You okay? All right. Um, let's see here. Well, let's play with the other text then. Go to Matthew um, 28. Sorry, I should. 28. I didn't speak very loudly. Thank you very much. So left again to the very last chapter in Matthew. And this is, the, this is the other place where you get a big dose of baptism. Uh, you're probably used to talking about the words of institution for the Holy Supper, but there's also words of institution for baptism. Right, and so you sort of say, well, why would you do it like that? Why in the water? Well, Jesus does things the way he does them. So, and it's best if we just kind of follow along and say yes when Jesus talks. 
So, um, all right, what's, what's the, have you got a page number there? What do you have? 835. 830, are you an 835-ish? 835-ish, right? Okay. So, um, you know what's happened now. Jesus has um, gone through Gethsemane, been crucified, uh, risen from the dead, and the disciples are astounded. And bit by bit, Jesus comes back to them and begins to tell them new stories, give them a little bit of direction, and prepare them for a time when uh, he'll go up and the Holy Spirit will come down and the church will go out and life will be beautiful. So here you go, give this a try. If you learned anything, you know, before, and this might be one of the things that you've learned. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to a mountain where Jesus had directed them. So it's off to a fast start because they're doing what Jesus asked them to do. 16, I'm sorry, verse 16. I'm very sorry, I just started reading. So Matthew 28, verse 16. They went to the mountain where Jesus directed them. So in the, in the shortest, just as a little, in the, in the shortest possible way, um, you know, you just mark this down, faith agrees or faith obeys, which I find one of the most comforting words in scripture. And this, so you have a fresh, you have a, you have a good start here. The disciples, Jesus said, hey, will you do this? And they in fact do it and it's remarkable. So Jesus says, I'll meet you there and they do. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. So, you know, typical congregation. On every Sunday, there are people who are full blast in worship, and there are people who are plagued by their doubts. And some weeks you're going to be on one side of that, and other weeks you're going to be on the other side. Just, it's all right. Just keep coming back. Pay attention. And Jesus came to them. It's interesting, right? This is always the motion of the church. Jesus comes to you. You don't come to Jesus. Jesus comes to you and stays with you. And Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. We'll pause, we're gonna come back to that in a second. So we need to come back um, to heaven and earth. We'll need that later, heaven and earth. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Okay, good. Now, this is a little bit mussed up because the translations aren't really so good. But here, you can trust me on this. It doesn't actually say go like with an exclamation point. It's a participle here in Greek. And participles, can you remember what a participle is? Heck, this would be your moment to shine. That you actually, that you actually graduated from eighth grade in that one-room schoolhouse. Anybody remember what a participle is? Anybody? Say you do have past and present participles, good. That's, that's even like high-level stuff. If you, how would you know a participle if, you, if it bit you on the leg? How would you know? Participles are ing, right? And they're like, this is the participles of the B team. They explain things. This actually says, um, the text actually says, uh, in your going, in your going. So as you move through life, and of course, those disciples are going to move through life in a fabulous way. In your going, and now here's the main verb. In your going, make disciples. 
So that's what, that's what apostles are good for. In your going, make disciples. That's the main verb. This is, what, this is the big news right here. We like to make this the big news because then we can have a, you know, sermons about going out. But just, it's okay, just but pause for a second. It's all about discipleship. The, what Jesus asks is that you make a disciple. And it turns out that you make a disciple much like making a case with a recipe. In your going, make a disciple, baptizing them. Now you got another participle. So this explains this, this explains this, and teaching them. Another participle, there you go. So this is the big deal. You make a disciple, and how do you do that? By baptizing and teaching. No baptism, no disciple. No teaching, no disciple. Which, of course, is when people say, you know, why should I do the Saturday morning thing? The, the answer is because that's how you are a disciple. Baptizing one time. Tomorrow in the creed you'll say one baptism for the remission of sin. So you, get, you don't get, there's never such a thing as a rebaptism. There's just baptism or not. So you get baptized and then teaching goes on and on and on and on. As Paul says, we come to the mind of Christ, right? Or we share a common mind because it's all about the teaching. So Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In your going, make disciples of, and this is really important, all nations. So um, everybody you see everywhere, and now there's, you know, there's always rejections about Christianity and, you know, appropriation and colonization and let people have their own way and all, as if Jesus hadn't made the whole world and it didn't all belong to him. So everybody gets the same thing. Everybody gets the same thing. And so you may not say of people of other countries or nationalities or skin colors or languages, that's not my brother or sister. Because of course, faith agrees and Jesus loves those folks as much as he loves you and he gives them the same gifts. And so everybody gets the same same. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, and now you know how to do this. What's it take for a baptism? What do you need? You need water, that's beautiful, right? So occasionally you'll get people baptizing with something other than water, rose petals or, you know, yeah. It takes water, and what else do you need? Yes, but the particular word. So not just the word, of course, is right, but stronger, please. You need the holy name, right? Now this is startlingly important. The holy name is everything. In fact, this is the difference between Israel and all other, all other religions. Other religions had idols. They carved them, they carried them, they worshiped them. They fed them, they cared for them. All Israel ever had was the name. So you remember at the burning bush, uh, Moses looks to the side, there's a bush on fire, but it's not being consumed. He says, I'll go have a look at that. He walks over to have a look at it, and this bush is on fire. And then a voice says, take off your shoes. This is, there's a clue, holy ground. 
And then Yahweh reveals his name. Nobody will believe me if I go back to, to Egypt and say, you know, let my people go. I'm no Charlton Heston. Come on. You know? And then the Lord says, tell them I am sent you. Tell them Yahweh sent you. Tell them the Lord sent you. And it'll all be okay. So if you have the holy name, you belong to God himself. Also the prayer at the end, you remember when you baptize your child or when you were baptized, the last prayer says, we say, this is a great consolation to parents, who's, especially if their children have gone off the rails. The last prayer says, now that this child has become your child, and you should often pray for your children in this way, my child is really your child, care for my child as your own child, or care for my child the way you cared for Jesus. So, baptizing and teaching. Now, sometimes, and Luther will say this in the catechism, people make fun of water, like it doesn't do anything. But of course, if you're, especially if you're a scientist, you know how much water does, the composition and the, all, the, all the properties of it. But what, um, people act as if this is some strange thing. But if I ask you about the scriptures, what's your favorite water stories, or what water stories do you remember? So what, what, are you, what are your favorite water stories? You know, tell me one. Tell me water stories from the scriptures. Old Testament and New. Jesus walking in the water. Very nicely done. What else? Jonah and the whale. That was just in the lectionary for this week. What else? Parting of the Red Sea. Right? Striking the rock and the water comes out so they can drink. What else? Noah and the ark. Thank you very much. Water turned to wine. Water again, yes, John. Water from the side of Jesus Jesus on the cross, yes, right? What your church has interpreted as when they stab him and out comes blood and water, the church sees baptism and the Holy Supper. But you just gave nine examples of where water saved people. Saves them in the desert, they have something to drink. Saves them from Pharaoh. Sends Jonah on the way to Nineveh. The water doesn't kill him, it actually saves him. With water coming out of Jesus' side. The Lord has been saving people with water ever since. Eden is surrounded and filled and nourished by rivers. And in the end, um, that I saw the water hymn that we sung a couple of those prelude a couple of weeks ago. The text came up this week. I saw the water flowing out from under the temple and going to the Arabah and making the salty waters pure. The world gets reclaimed by water. Well, anyway. This is how God saves you too. He put Jonah in the water to save him. He took the Israelites through the water um, to save them. Uh, He saved the wedding at Cana by turning water into wine, and he saves you by touching you with the water. I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if I can do this on the fly, but we'll see. And when you're touched with water and the holy name, your life is completely different. Everything is better. Let me see if I can find this. The very last chapter of Scripture, Revelation 22. 
There's no more of anything accursed. This is about verse 3. But the throne of God and the Lamb shall be it, and his servants shall worship them. They shall see his face, and the name of God shall be on their foreheads, and the night shall be no more. When you get to heaven, you show them your forehead. Later, I'll also say when you get to heaven, stick out your tongue at Jesus. Don't worry, it'll go well for you. The place where the body and blood have touched. But when you have the name carved into your forehead, it's as Chrysostom says, the devil can never direct, he can never hit you with a direct blow again. When the devil comes for you and sees the sign of Jesus on your forehead, he has to turn his face. He can't strike you directly because he can't bear it. It's a tattoo. It's the way that you get into heaven. So you're baptized with water and the holy name. Uh, and it's important to use this, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Sometimes people change the name. And when you change the name, I got no idea what happens. For a while it was trendy to baptize people creator, redeemer, sustainer. You know, the problem is you're baptizing him by an attribute, not by a name. Right? I, if you do that, I have no idea what's happened. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you is how it always gets translated. The trouble is this reinforces all the things you got when you were a kid that people are shaking their finger at you all the time in church. There's only one, there's two rules for kids in church. Two rules. No stitches, no crying. That pretty much covers everything. No stitches, no crying. If nobody's bleeding and nobody's crying, the kids can run the place. I should develop a similar list for adults. It would start with no finger wagging. You laugh as if somebody maybe in church once wagged their finger at you. It was a great sadness if they did. One of the hardest things for me is I have to undo all the things that have happened to people in church. And often it's people who have been humiliated, despised, shamed. Did you say shamed? Yeah. The things you learn as a young pastor, little sidebar. I went on a call once to see an old woman whose younger daughter, now old means 85 and younger daughter means 65 or the daughter was dying of cancer. The mother was broken. This is all my fault, she said, because I had to sign the book. Sign the book? What do you mean, sign the book? Well, you know, I had to sign the book. I said, actually, I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, a young boy came back from the war, promised her everything. He was handsome and made her pregnant. Then he left her heard this story a million times. Then when the congregation found out she was pregnant, she had to sign the book. I said, sign the book, I can do it. She was taken to the front of the congregation, had to tell the whole story to the entire congregation, and then sign a book that she had sinned in such a way, and that someday perhaps she could come back. I'd never heard of anything like this before. I guess there are parallels in other places, the sinners, Benjamin, but I thought to myself, you know, first, of course, there's a, there's a thousand reasons to ask this question about, you know, why anybody would do that to anybody else and like one sin more than another or, and now here's this woman 
And, and I t asked around, they said, oh yeah, that's a common practice around here. I'm like, you people are all out of your minds. This is crazy talk. Here's this woman, 60 years later, convinced that God has finally gotten the best of her by killing her daughter because, you know, she had a child out of wedlock. You can't go. I mean, we're constantly fighting against that idea of the church, which is all about the law, observing the commandments, and not the gospel. If you read this text in the Greek, it could be roughly translated this way. Treasuring up, that's actually the verb to treasure. Treasuring all the things that I have left behind, right? All my words. And this word for treasuring, interestingly, is the very same word used in the Christmas story after the shepherds left. You remember it was a busy Christmas and, you know, baby in the manger, you know, the shepherds show up, and then when they leave, you remember there's this moment of silence at the end of Luke 2, where it says, and Mary, do you remember it? Treasured up all these things in her heart. Same verb. So this is supposed to be your chance to be like the Blessed Virgin Mother. That you would be so happy about the things that you would have here that they would absolutely be the boundary and joy of your life. You know, like this, in Christ. These things all go together. So, baptizing and teaching, right? And so this is what I sort of said this kind of the first Sunday I was here and never got past it. What, what, the one thing we're trying to do here, make disciples, it's right from this text, make disciples and make them stronger. Here's where disciples are made in the baptizing and here is where they're made stronger in the teaching. This is done once, this never ends. So this is the answer to people who are sometimes Missouri Senate people like, hey, and this happens, you know, five times a year. Somebody says, I said, they want to join the church. I said, come on Saturday mornings, we'll get to know each other. Ah, I've been in the church my whole life. I'm like, of course, I'm thinking to myself, in the church where people have to sign the book? <laughs> because I want to get people as far away from that as I can. So what you're meant to do, what I'm meant to do, is always be learning and always be living this and always remembering that we're resurrected. And then the great finish here. You remember how it started with all authority in here, in heaven and earth. Now look how this finishes, so great. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded, teaching them to treasure everything I left behind. And lo, the last words in Matthew, I'm with you always to the close of the age. So it's heaven and earth and close of the age. Got any clue what this might mean? What's the biggest problem when you talk to people? What's the biggest problem that, um, that people have? If I say to you, what are people troubled with most of all? In our world today, what would you say? If you could say it in a word or two, what would you say? Death is part of it, certainly. The last week has reminded us of that. But short of death, while they're still alive, well, you can think about that for next week. Listen, just, all I want you to do is just listen to people for the next week, just, not just your friends. Listen on social media, listen on television, listen to the newspaper. 
ask yourself what people are troubled by. What are they complaining about? What worries them most? Just ask yourself and then we'll come back. However, look at this for you who are scientists. This is time, close of the age, and this is space. So Jesus is saying, no matter where you go or what you do, the sins you fall into or the good that you do, the troubles you have, the pressures, the failures, the sins where you chose um, evil rather than good, no matter what, in heaven or in hell, I'm with you. If you're depressed, however low you go, Jesus will be there waiting for you, right? There's no place you can go and nothing you can do to shake him once you've been baptized. You wear his name on your head now forever and ever, amen. And that is your greatest comfort in life and in death. You belong to Jesus. You are his. He loves you. He forgives you. He's pleased with you. He considers you his family. He gives you his father later, the Our Father, right? He shows you his way. Follow me. I'm the way, the truth, the life. But it all starts in baptism. Okay, pause. Now you found out what will happen if you just let me talk. I will just keep going. Questions about any of that? You certainly aren't going to, you know, come on, just accept this and sign of the dotted line the first day. If you do, what will happen? Do you see these three? This is how you could end up. You could end up like this. Ask yourselves, really, is that? It's not so bad. It's not so bad. <laughs> Questions about any of that? So just read it. Go ahead, Michael. Can you lose your salvation? Um... I don't know, do you fish? There's a couple of kinds of people who fish. Have you, do you ever know anybody who doesn't fish, who fishes with an unbarbed hook? This is particularly sporting in some places. No barb on the hook, you ever heard of this? You have no barb on your hook. Because yeah, I never wanted, when, when I'd be fishing with my son, I didn't want to be able to get the hook out of his hands. <laughs> When I was fishing for my son, I wanted to get the hook. Oh, no, that's not what you said, but it sounded like that. Well, just for you, Jesus fishes with a barbed hook. So there's your answer. Can you shake Jesus? It's possible, but you have to work at it much harder than people might think, right? Kind of think about Jesus and who he is and what he's done, what he wants from forever and for forever. Can you shake him? I mean, yeah, uh, you can, but it's almost always the wrong question. So as a theoretical question, yes, you can shake him because this is super important. The gospel is resistible. The gospel can be refused. It can be, you know, bent, fold, folded, you know, mutilated, spindled, right? Yes, you can, you can shake it, you can shake him, but it's not quite so easy as we suspect because his love is so strong. And frankly, um, 
the action of baptism and later the Holy Supper is so compelling. Can you shake him? Sure. This is the Catholic Church speaks about mortal sins, for example. That's uh, so why witchcraft is so dangerous. The anti-everything Jesus. Anti-everything that is Jesus. Can you shake him? Yes. But in any real person question about that, we would want to be extraordinarily careful. I have never said in my entire life being a pastor, somebody is in hell. Which is almost, all, you asked it from an honest heart. That question is often asked so that we can say about those people, and then they went to hell. It's not given to me or to you to make a final judgment. We have indicators, we have markers, certainly. But we have to be extraordinarily careful because if you think in your own heart that you can be shaken, in your worst days, the devil will use that against you. He'll exploit that wound. So if it's, if it's a question about you and can I be lost, my answer is, anybody who has bagels here on Saturday morning is going straight to heaven. And that's a more real answer than you know. Because even the worry about being damned is to be saved. So can it be done? Yes, because the gospel is resistible. And yes, because we can do horrible things. And yes, because at the end of the day, we're not forced to be saved. But Jesus has a grip on us much tighter than we realize, and on those we love. It was the Winnie the Pooh thing from two, not Winnie the Pooh, sorry, Charlotte's Web from two weeks ago. Savitsky proofs this thing. He's not my boss, I can say it about him. So. Um, he proofs the bulletin and he said, you know, what, what is up with this thing from Charlotte's Web? I'm like, the last line. And children almost always hold on to things more tightly than their parents realize. That's the creed, holding tightly. In the bulletin, everything kind of goes with what's happening. In the bulletin, everything on the side is usually meant to explain what's next to it, even though, even when I ran John Lennon saying, about the Beatles, were more popular than God. I did, in fact, run that right next to the confession. They were meant to illuminate each other, right? <laughs> I did get a little bit of blowback from that. But uh, <laughs> easy, friends. All right, um, hopefully I've made this safe enough for you to talk next week. If you want to leave me a question or two, um, we'll, talk, well, we'll talk a little bit more about the history of the church and baptism and what that would mean for you. If you want to hang around and talk, you can. Um, if you would take bagels, are there bags out there? There's Ziploc bags. So the worst thing, among the most grievous sins, a way that a church can lose its salvation is leaving food in the kitchen for months until the pastor finds it and he curses everyone because it's all moldy and full and you can't keep the beer cold. You can see what a problem this is. So if you want to save the church, Take home the sprinkled donuts and the bagels, okay? Let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay, thanks. Come back next week. Leave me a question or two. If you're going to be gone, let me know. I'll try to send you stuff. If you have questions or you need anything from us, be sure to call. We love you all. See you tomorrow.